So it was really shallow, but the reason I picked Tyler was because he put 6'5 in his profile. <laughs> and actually, it, one of his pictures, he had these like this pair of really ugly sunglasses that kind of looked like a dad, and I almost didn't swipe right because I was like completely judging him based off of the one pair of sunglasses and one picture he had. That's so, so interesting. Yeah. Have you ever mentioned that to him? Yeah. <laughs> He actually just bought new sunglasses last weekend. This is Maggie Strode. She graduated from the University of North Carolina and met her boyfriend of two years on Tinder. I actually didn't really like like him that much at first. Because um, the interesting th- part about our relationship is, so we met on this app that's like 100% shallow. <laughs> Literally could not be more shallow. But... Once we went on our first date, it was, like, fun, and he was really, like, nice, and I thought he was cute, but there wasn't that, like, X factor, like, oh, man, like, I always pictured getting, like, wooed right away, I guess you could say, and getting, like, schmoozed, getting taught, you know, feeling like, whoa, this deep connection right away, and we, like, grew into a connection, um, which I don't think happens a lot on Tinder. Maggie is one of the rare few who found a real relationship on Tinder, although maybe less rare now than it used to be. Today on Quite Frankly, we are looking closer at Tinder and other dating apps. We are looking at apps on campus and apps abroad. We are exploring who is using them and why. I'm Lauren Feiner. And I'm Leopold Spohn-Gellert. Today we're trying something new. Our episode today will be in three parts. In the first chapter, Jisoo Kim tells us about her venture into dating apps abroad. In chapter two, we meet a former Penn student who made a dating app and another who found love on it. In chapter three, I talked to Kenneth Black, who realized that his type isn't as limited as he used to believe. Chapter one, Tinder abroad. Like the equivalent of like DTF (laughs) is not something that I said here, but something that I have made it a little more clear (laughs) abroad. College junior Jisoo Kim has been on Tinder for a couple years. The last fall, she used the app in Sevilla, Spain while studying abroad, and found that the way she used the app there was different. My Tinder bio is Korean Jesus of Suburbia, and I hope any potential matches are not listening, because I would give away my secret. It's like, if you understand my Tinder, or like, like I said, it's two references, like, if you understand at least one, like, that's props to you. So I'm not trying to, like, give away my secret, but here it goes. Um, Korean Jesus is a reference to 21 Jump Street, where they go to the church and then Jonah Hill prays to the Korean-looking Jesus and then Channing Tatum laughs at him and then Ice Cube breaks in and is like, like, guys, like, stop fucking around. And Jesus of Suburbia is like a nine-minute Green Day song. It's like their Bohemian Rhapsody. And it was a perfect combination that came together sometime during my senior year of high school. I have not abandoned it. And in Spain... It was like, oh my god, this is so embarrassing. It was like, um, I'm an American looking for a buddy to practice Spanish with. 
In the U.S., Jisoo used Tinder to meet new people in the various cities in which she interned. She said it's helped her discover new places and get her out of her comfort zone. Jisoo waited a couple weeks after moving to Spain before re-downloading Tinder. She wanted to get her bearings before meeting any matches, but once she felt comfortable, she planned to use the app for similar reasons. I really did want to meet Spanish guys to improve my Spanish and like break out of my like pen student bubble. And there were only a handful of us, really, and I wasn't making that many friends at my, in my classes, so I wanted to branch out in that way. And, um, yeah, like, it, it was, a, it was, like, the guys I met also had, like, a mix of, like, their own, uh, like, expectations and, like, what they wanted. So Jisoo had a couple of wild Tinder interactions in Spain, kind of what you'd expect from meeting some random dudes in another country. There was one who was Italian, where I was like, you, that, he was really difficult to talk to because he um, like didn't like he was studying abroad obviously and he like was not good at Spanish yet so he had to speak in English but he wasn't good at English either um, and he was also like not good I will not specify in what way <laughs> not good and I was like all right what is happening here um, yeah and then there's other guys who were just like jerks just like fuckboys in you know, not different from Penn. I was like, ah, just another Penn fuckboy, just at the University of Sevilla. Um, and then one who was, like, particularly nice. And there were some misconnections, too. This one, who, kid you not, looked like a cross between Justin Bieber and Enrique Iglesias. Like, I wish I was making that up. He lived with his cousin! So, that didn't blossom. <laughs> um, you know, it's, al it's already hard to mash up schedules, right? But when there's a cousin in the mix, oof. So even though there were some fuckboys in the mix, it sounds like Tinder ended up being a cool way for her to meet guys outside of like a club setting or in a broad classroom where it might be awkward to introduce yourself to someone new. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, she put herself out there, which is really cool, and it seems like she had help um, by the fact that her broad program gave her some tools to navigate the dating scene. They actually gave her some terms that she could use um, when she was interacting with guys. And in terms of consent, that was also never a problem for me, which mm -hmm. I, like, I shouldn't be thankful for, but I am. Um, that, that was easy enough to get across. And also, would have to thank uh, our... Pen abroad office slash like the people who were our like like study abroad office like center sort of people in Sevilla they made sure to uh, in in their like welcome packet or like like handbook manual whatever they made sure to like give us a list of vocabulary like mm -hmm. how to say condom how to say birth control um, how to say STI all that stuff. One thing that clearly carried over to Spain were racist attitudes on Tinder. Jisoo had a few unfortunate Tinder interactions that definitely exposed this. One thing that I always knew was at the back of their mind was that I am Asian and there aren't that many Asian people in Spain. Um, and it's very much a part of European culture to assume that anyone who looks Asian is Chinese. So I would just be referred to as Chinese by like, not, not, not guys, but like just in general, like that is how Asian people are referred to. Jisoo told me that while she was offended by these statements, she pretty much let it go. She said she didn't really know how else to react, but she seemed to wish that maybe she'd spoken up a bit more. My gut reaction was pretty much the same way I would feel in if that were to happen to me in the U.S. But And I don't know what the best way to deal with this, this is, but I 
like after my gut reaction, I was able to understand and not, not forgive, but understand that they are that they are like this, that they are all pretty much all like this, right? So overall, if you listen to everything she said, it sounds like most of her experiences on Tinder haven't been that great. Yeah, but surprisingly, she actually said she plans to stay on the app. She's pretty hopeful about her future on Tinder. Do you think, like, you're going to stay on Tinder for a while? Or, like, I don't know, what do you think? I I don't see why not, because, you know, we're only getting older, and I've not had much luck at Penn. You know, as people get into relationships at Penn, and it confounds me. Um... And, you know, once we get out of here, that's, like, the real world. And that that's something that I, I do appreciate, that, like, whatever dating or, like, whatever experience that I've had on Tinder uh, has kind of prepared me for that. She even thinks it's a place where she could find a relationship if she wants it. For those of you wondering Jisoo's secrets to Tinder, she left us with some tips. Do you think that, like, what are some of the rules that you're talking about? And, like, what are some that you broke? <laughs> <laughs> Um, some of the rules, I feel like the classic ones that you see, like, you know, when you're at the supermarket and, like, like, the Cosmo mag is, like, <laughs> screaming headlines at you, um, you know, there's, like, like, don't, don't have sex on the first date, you know, some of them are, like, don't have sex until, like, the fourth date, like, whatever, whatever, um, there's, like, you know, like, in the movies, there's always, like, the three-day rule, like, oh, if you go on a date, like, don't call them until three days later, um, calling in itself is is weird, right? Because people don't do it as much nowadays. Yeah, that you just like play a little hard to get. Um, that that was my downfall. I don't do that because I I think that's just BS. Like I think you should just be like honest with how you feel. Um, and that's <laughs> that's something that's pretty relevant actually. Um, one of the guys that I hung out with in Spain, we were talking about, like, somehow it came up where he was like, have you, um, like, have you had a lot of boyfriends? And I was like, no. And he was like, why is that? And I was like, you tell me. Um, and he said it was, it was because I wasn't playing hard to get. And that was something he had noticed. And he said, well, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I think you should just cut the crap. But that, and, but that was because it was not a serious encounter. Like, that, that was in my last month of abroad, so obviously it wasn't very serious. Now Jisoo is back at Penn and back in the game. Every, every abroad cliche has happened to me. Like, you come back like, oh, I'm, I'm enlightened now. I'm so refreshed. Pen, I, I can handle Penn again, all that stuff. Um, and also very much that a feeling of being spoiled by, you know, you can just jet off to any other, any cool new city every single weekend, uh, which I didn't do, but that sense of being bored coming back to your normal life did, did strike me. So here I am again, <laughs> swiping away. <laughs> Chapter 2, Grinder Games. So now we turn to Kenneth, who has some experience with a dating app that isn't talked about quite as much as Tinder, but has millions of users and is active in over a hundred countries. Grindr. Grindr is an app geared towards homosexual and bisexual men, and is typically known as a quote-unquote hookup app. 
We asked Kenneth about the Grinder experience. A lot of people do not put their face picture up, right? They don't expose themselves. Unlike Tinder, where almost every single person will show their face because, um, I don't know, I feel like that's essential to, like, talking to people. Um, and they kind of, like, uh, either show their bodies or something. Um, they're, like, six-pack abs or, like, they're <clears throat> close to naked um, pictures. And even that is, like, I feel like... Uh, like, can create conversation. Like, people, bodies will talk to bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, bodies will talk to, you know, and people with faces will talk to bodies, you know? Uh, and it's, it's really interesting uh, to see how, like, and that really shows, like, the, the desire to just, like, hook up fast can be, like, oh my god, there's, like, a hot body. I'm gonna go message that hot body. So this sort of self-presentation is definitely a little bit different than on Tinder, at least according to my own experience. On Tinder, I might have a picture of me at a party or with some friends. I definitely didn't have any pictures of me, like, faceless body shots, nothing like that. I don't know about you, but that's just my experience. (laughs) Definitely did not have that either. Um, But, I mean, bodies are definitely important on Tinder and people's profiles, but I think faces are really what people are looking for to see the person behind the profile. As I, like, continue being on dating apps, and I kind of realize how people... Um, can display themselves, the language that they put. You know, oftentimes there's a a really exclusionary language around it. Like, for example, um, on a lot of, like, say, Grindr um, captions, uh, there would be, like, oh, no no feminine people or no fat people or no Asian people or no black people or, um, you know, specific um, race or quote-unquote preferences that... They use that. Well, people use um, the idea of preferences to justify kind of uh, the racist sentiments or kind of the um, exclusionary sentiment that they feel themselves. And I kind of feel. I mean, personally, I don't think that's a justification for that because no one is born liking um, liking a certain race or a certain you know a certain type, right? It's all conditioning. So right off the bat, it was clear in my conversation with Kenneth that Grindr has not just been some carefree hookup app for him. The nature of the app has brought out some pretty dark truths about how human desire can be commercialized. See, dating apps, I feel like they have a currency, right? You know, um, you know, not like dollars or whatever, right? But on Grindr, the currency is nude pics, right? Like nudity. And that's where I kind of see how dating apps are gamified. And... Because that is a currency of exchange, you know, that's a point system. The more messages and the more matches, or matches in Tinder, right, or more um, kind of nude pictures that you get on Grindr or whatever, kind of serves as kind of a um, currency of self-satisfaction, a currency to kind of boost your um, confidence in your game, like like literal game, right? So, like, I kind of see this, see Grindr and Tinder, like, being kind of technologized into kind of a gaming system. And also, in addition, the ability to be able to pay for more features, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what does that remind you of, right? Like, Farmville back in the day, you know? All those, all those like, kind of mobile games where you can pay, like, oh, 99 cents for more swipes. Or 99 cents for, like, this. Or, like, you can be access to more profiles and you can... Um, do this or that, these extra features uh, by paying for it, right? And um, why is that, you know? Um, And exclusive to Grindr, um, to pay, you get to have 
these extra features, and those extra features mean you can filter people out by race, by height, by weight, by type, by what position they're doing, and like they just updated their new app, so like you can essentially filter to whatever you like. So it's like creates even like more exclusion or like ability to exclude people, and you know that could be a dangerous zone into like kind of contributing to what gay. Or like what uh, you know, gay male culture is. So this definitely seems like a common trend on dating apps to me, at least in my experience. People feel like they have a type, and that justifies rejecting entire racial groups or other groups in order to find a person who satisfies what they think they find attractive. Like recently, two friends of mine got in a big argument because one of them said that they're unwilling to swipe right on anyone who isn't white. My other friend thought that that was explicitly racist, but then they just argued that it was their preference, you know? It's what they find attractive. So, I don't know. This definitely is a problem on all apps, in my experience. Yeah, that's definitely something Kenneth talked to me a lot about. To him, Grindr is a quote-unquote terrible app that encourages this sort of prejudice, and he said he also hasn't always been this innocent. You know, I used to be like, oh my god, I love white guys. I love them so much. But that, that was, like, I don't know how many, like, six years ago, right? And then um, people called me out on it. My best friend called me out on it. My mentor called me out on it. He was like, why? Why do you think you do so? And, and then from there, I kind of was on a process of decolonizing my mind, deconstructing um, and reconstructing kind of my uh, sexual identity and um, kind of being able to navigate from there. So... And I discovered that, you know, when you kind of work on deconstructing and reconstructing your preferences or your quote-unquote preferences or, like, your desires, you know, you become much more of an inclusive and accepting person, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like you're able to, and I, and I discovered, you know, I'm able to be attracted to um, all types of people, right? I'm able to, and I, that's kind of what I learned from this. And instead of just, like, one type, you know? I feel like the easiest way to gauge a person's kind of, like, idea of preferences is just ask them, what's your type, right? Mm -hmm. And then if, you know, a lot of times people just, like, talk about, you know, very specific features exclusive to, like, a certain group of people. And, you know, when people ask me what's my type now, I'm just like, there's attractive people everywhere, you know? The prevalence of race and racism even played into conversations Kenneth had with other users. Similar to Jisoo, he ran into people who said some things that were pretty blatantly racist. You know, I've had a few messages um, simply messaged me saying Kim Chong. (laughs) You know, um, and I'm like used to that um, growing up where it's like I grew up in a neighborhood where I would get racist remarks all the time. So I'm kind of desensitized of it, but I'm very critical of it. Where if anyone ever did that to me in real life, they're, you know, they're going to get it. (laughs) But, um, verbally. Uh, But, you know, there is kind of that um, external, where it's like they they message you and uh, say racist things, or kind of their uh, bio, um, their biography would say no Asians, right? Or now people are not as likely to do that, so they'll be they'll start describing features. But it's very clear that they're Eurocentric features. Like the, you know, there's like a few profiles around here at Penn that say, you know, only into gingers and blondes and blue eyes, right? And I'm like, 
okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. So um, where it's like they feel like they won't offend as many people when they say what they want instead of what they don't want, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, I see a parody in that. You know, it's equally as harmful. It's equally as um, should be questioned. Um, and I feel like a lot of it is kind of like implicit. You know, um, kind of what doesn't happen to me. Like if I were not Asian, mm-hmm. what would my experience? How would my experiences differ? Um, if I were not Asian, you know, how like. Will I have more chances of dating, or like if not? And then, uh, and that kind of like runs through my mind in in terms of like how my race, and how my identity, how my body shape, how my uh, I don't know color of my skin kind of plays into kind of the romantic navigation around uh, grinder or sexual navigation in dating apps. It wasn't enough for Kenneth to close the app and walk away. He wanted to know why people said these prejudiced comments and what made them think they had a type based on race. He read up on scholarly articles online and began to feel like at least he had a better understanding of why people think this way. But Kenneth was actually so interested in how prejudices affect our sex lives that he even wrote a paper on stereotypes and pornography. My paper was essentially um, talking about how pornography shapes desires in like uh, queer Asian men. I talked about their activities on uh, um, dating apps and kind of how pornography or like kind of both pornography and mainstream media kind of affects that. And I also described about like, the, again, the gamification about like how nudity is a currency on dating apps where it's like, you know, people who exchange uh, nude pictures don't even necessarily meet up. Sometimes they do it just just to have the satisfaction that, oh, this person will message me back. Oh, this person will uh, send this, right? Um, yeah, it was like some papers I was reading on. It was really interesting, like uh, like these papers I was reading on, like the activity of people and how people acted on Grindr. Like, um, I, I don't really have much experience with, like, uh, uh, some of the stuff that was talked about in the paper, uh, but... Um, um, you know, again, the idea that it can be extended um, by using money, like the the kind of what you can do on the app can be extended. That's all across all apps. Sometimes it's like a point system, I feel like. You know, all these little features, if you look at it, it's like points. Points of self-satisfaction, points of egoism, points of self-confidence. You know, egoism and self-confidence, you know, your, your kind of interpretation of it. And that, you know, sometimes people just play the shit out of people, you know. Grinder lets people find hookups as quickly as ordering food on Grubhub. You can choose a person's traits down to a T, serving our generations need to have everything on demand. Yeah, there's this weird aspect of Grinder and other apps where you're kind of able to ignore the humanity of the person you're talking to or interacting with because it's digital, you know? Like if I was at a bar and someone came up to me and wanted to talk to me and I didn't find them attractive, I wouldn't say certain things that, you know, like, would be blatantly rude. But on an app like Tinder or Grindr, people feel comfortable saying, like, blatantly racist things or blatantly rude things or rejecting entire racial groups just because they get to hide behind their iPhones when they do so. 
Yeah, and I think we actually see this like all around the internet. Like on Facebook, you'll see people get into arguments on statuses and saying things that they probably wouldn't say to the person uh, if, if, it, if it was in real life. Yeah, it just kind of like dehumanizes what's supposed to be a way of meeting new people and gives people a lot of opportunities to act kind of shitty. Um, not to say that there aren't positive interactions on Grindr and the like, but there definitely is this possibility. Right, similar to other areas of the internet too, it does give us another platform to meet new people and from all around the world that we might not have otherwise. Chapter 3, Otter, the Tinder of Blind Dates. The way that we met is a friend of mine, Fifi, from the same senior society. We were filling out the form of people we were considering tapping, and so she messaged me like, oh, I, I didn't know you know Josh. Like, most people don't know him because he dropped out. He's been in and out. And I said, oh, I don't really know him. We, we just, like, met one time, uh, but I think he might be good. So then I got a message from Otter the following day that was like, oh, Fifi has suggested a date for you. So that, that's how Otter works. It doesn't tell you who the date is. It just says your friend has suggested a date for you on Otter. This is Lauren McCann. She's talking about the website Otter. It isn't around anymore, but it was created by two Penn students a year ago as a platform where people could play matchmaker with their friends. Here's the way it worked. You sign up and you can match any of your Facebook friends who you think would be a good pair. They both receive notifications that say you've set them up, but they don't know who you suggested unless they accept. If they both accept, they get put into a message with their match. I think he thought it was like him responding to a bot because he wrote, Wow, Fifi, you have amazing taste. I would love to go on a date with Lauren. She's awesome. And so I got that and I was like, hello, yes, I'm in this chat room. And he was like, oh, hi. Josh and Lauren had actually met a couple times before Otter finally gave them the context to go on a date. We actually met like four years ago when we were in line at Frontera you know, as one does at Frontera, basically just wait in line. And I was waiting there with my friend Sam, and Sam was in Elmo, and Josh was in Elmo, and so Josh walked over to say hi to Sam. We talked for literally maybe 15 seconds, said hi, like, you know, the like, oh, this is my friend, the hello, hello type of thing. And then he walked away, and I was like, Sam, Sam, who was that? He was so cute. And Sam's like, oh, you wouldn't, you guys wouldn't get along. Like, you're, you wouldn't really like each other. And then Josh also asked Sam the same thing. Like, oh, who was that girl you were with? She was so cute. I really liked her. Sam was like, oh, like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really like her. Turns out Sam liked me. So for both of us, he told us we wouldn't like each other. And then uh, Josh dropped out to start a company. So I just never saw him again and never heard anything about him until, uh, four years, or I guess, I guess until senior fall when I saw him at like a LinkedIn info session mm. when I was going through OCR and I thought he was just old and worked there now. And turns out he had interned there and they asked him to come to the session. And so he was speaking and asking people if you wanted to get coffee before your interview. They got coffee. They did not talk about LinkedIn, but she was going through a breakup and he was dating someone else. So that was that. What they really needed was the timing to be right and to get a push. And when they matched on Otter, they were both single and they had a reason to start the conversation. This happened right before spring break. And then, so we decided to do something after spring break because I was going away. And I remember, so he lives downtown near Rittenhouse and he was like, oh, I know this cool bar, like the speakeasy near my house. And I was like, hmm. 
you know, a bar near your house that you want to go to at night. Like, I know what you think this is happening. And I was like, no, how about we go to breakfast on Sunday morning at 9 a.m.? If you show up, then that's like a good filter, right? He's a good guy. And so he was like, sure, yeah, let's do that instead. So we wound up going to breakfast and just going on like a 12-hour walk and just never really stopped talking. And that was that. So while I don't really believe that they went on a 12-hour walk, this is a really cute story, and this is kind of an interesting app, you know? It's an app that's for people who aren't necessarily willing to put themselves out there and have it known that they are looking for someone. It's for people who maybe want to meet someone but don't want to be as forward as you have to be on Tinder. So we wanted to learn more about this app and its creation, so we spoke to Hong Kim, the co-creator of the app. The question is sort of where do all those people um, find love or um, find a significant other. And the reality uh, is that most people find someone to uh, the significant other through their friends. So there was, I think, a recent um, survey where uh, it was found that two-thirds of the people say that they found their spouse through friend introductions. So, so in the real world, how it's actually happening is friends. Um, and we're thinking about uh, what what would be sort of like the digital analog of um, friends introducing uh, uh, someone to their other friends. So to me, this app sounds pretty awesome, and I wish it was still around. I wish I could, you know, like hook my friends up on blind dates. So why don't you go into why it ended up not working out? Yeah, well, they actually had a second iteration of it, but with more game-like elements um, and loosening the restrictions on who you could actually set up. But ultimately, they found out that there's only so many people that you're going to set up, and they didn't have time to create a mobile app, so Otter pretty much folded. So Otter had a lot of traction for maybe like the first two weeks or so. Like it had like a really... Uh, um, it, it, it like escalated and then it crashed. And I think um, my reading of the situation was that because the only thing that you could do was like pair two people, all, all of the people that you know. So let's say there are a thousand people using Otter Pen, and I I sign up, and maybe like maybe I have about a hundred friends on Otter, um, but most people I think the average was about like fifty or even lower. So even though Otter didn't end up working out, I think Hong still believes that there is a space for something like Otter out there. He doesn't believe that Tinder has to be the only way. I think they can coexist, right? As I said, I, I feel like they're different. Um, uh, they're sort of different desires. Um, like going on Tinder is sort of like going out on a Friday night um, going into a club or going into a bar and like wanting to meet someone. Like that's, that's one, one thing. And, and I can be both that and I can also say when a friend texts me like, oh, do you want to meet this person? I can, I can say, I can say yes to both. It's, it's not a exclusive, like either or. Like I need to be this type of person or that type of person. Yeah, it could be pretty weird being on a dating app and acknowledging that you are out there looking for someone. It's like going up to someone at a bar, and you really have to put yourself on the line. Yeah, there's kind of this tendency to not be your authentic self on the app because there's this nervousness that you have to put forward this attractive, 
person that someone wants to swipe right on or whatever. So Otter seems to be kind of a less pressure-filled way to approach dating apps. Right, and since your friends are telling you who you should go out with, they're thinking more about what you like in a person. So Otter also made it like you don't have to be good at flirting over text. Like Lauren said that if she just met Josh over text, she probably wouldn't have even asked for a date. We were texting a lot right after the date because then I had to fly to San Francisco the day after the date. And I was like, thank God we didn't text a lot. You are terrible. You're like a 70-year-old man texting, like, so weird. And I'm glad I just met you in person because if we had texted, like, a regular dating app or something, I just would have been like, this guy's a fucking weirdo. I'm not meeting up with him. But he's great in person and not great via text. And I think sometimes it tends to be the opposite. So people get really disappointed because they have these long, witty, bantery conversations via text because you can really think about what you're saying and say it when you want. And then you meet them in person. You're like, no. So Lauren thinks the dating app culture created by apps could be toxic for relationships. I mean, I I know tons of people that I've met and had, like, amazing relationships, which is, I think it's a very cool avenue for getting to know people. But I also do think it is causing this, like, this, like, really weird, weird trend where, like, the grass is always greener and people have a really hard time settling down and committing to someone because they always think maybe someone better is, like, a swipe away. Uh, Or they, they just have so many options available to them. Right. They see everyone on the app and they think, why am I with this girl? I could be with so many other people who, you know, on on the screen look so much better. So there's a reason that most people don't assume Tinder is where they're going to find their next boyfriend or girlfriend. It's kind of a place you go on for fun. And there always seems to be something better out there when you do match with someone. I don't know. There's just something ultimately unsatisfying about the experience where you're not expecting to find the love of your life just because you swiped right on someone. Yeah, it's really kind of mechanical in that way because it's like you're literally shopping around for a date. You can go back and look for something better if you don't like what you found or you find some problem with it. It's easy to give up. And also on Tinder, it's kind of like you're not expecting to go on a date. Sometimes you might think the other person is just messing around on the app, whereas on Otter, it really seems about setting people up to like go out. Yeah, it's like on Tinder, you always have to be a little bit skeptical about the other person's intentions, but Otter, since your friend's setting you up, I think you might have a little bit more trust in what your friend is putting you, what sort of situation they're putting you in. Yeah, and as you can see, like, Otter was successful for Lauren and Josh. They are still together, right? Yeah, she returns from her Fulbright in India in April, and then she starts working at Google in San Francisco, which is the same city that Josh will be in. I don't think it was love at first sight, right, because we had already met each other very briefly, but I know we both separately went home after that first date, and he was, he's best friends with, he has a sister, and I was talking to my best friend, and we both separately said to the other person, like, I'm pretty sure I just went on my last first date, like, I, I think this is, like, the person, maybe. <laughs> This episode was produced by Joyce Varma and edited and hosted by Lauren Feiner and me, Leopold Spongiller. Special thanks to our intern, Charlotte Laracy. Our music was composed by Andrew Ellis. Quite Frankly is presented by The Daily Pennsylvania. If you're interested in joining our team or just want to shoot us a comment, email us at podcasts at thedp.com. Thanks a lot and see you soon.